Well, welcome everybody. It is fantastic to be together again this weekend. I trust that last weekend was a wonderful weekend for you as you spent time with family, celebrating what God did for us through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Uh, this weekend, I really am excited and honored to be able to share God's word with you. Uh, if you've been tracking with us or you perhaps knew, um, we are jumping straight back into our series uh, in Genesis. We've only got a few weeks left and so it really is a blessing to get to share one of the last messages with you in this series. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to uh, the book of Genesis chapter 45. That's where we're going to be today and I trust that the Lord is going to minister to you and bless you and that this will be a great time for you as you hear the word of the Lord and uh, I'm going to trust that great fruit will come from this. But let's pray first and then we will we'll get started. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that it is life, that it is truth and that uh, through your word, Lord, people are transformed, lives are renewed and we can live lives that glorify you and honor you. I pray today as we listen to your word and as your word washes over us and ministers to us, that we'd be refreshed and encouraged, challenged, Lord, rebuked where we need to be. And Lord, in every way, may we choose to respond to you out of a deep love for you, reverence for you and desire to be obedient to you. Because of what Jesus has done, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, I don't know about you, and I just want to start the message off by sharing a little bit about uh, what I love and what I love to do. But uh, if you're like me, you love, you love going to the airport. So I am a huge airport fan. And there are a number of reasons why I love the airport. One of them is I, I love aviation. If you know anything about me, you'll know that I'm absolutely besotted with airplanes. I love everything airplanes. I love everything aviation. And so the airport really is a fantastic place for me to go. Uh, not only because it's busy and it's hustling and it's bustling and, you know, there's airplanes there and people are going on a holiday and people are meeting up with family again and all that sort of stuff. But just simply because uh, when you go to the airport, nine times out of ten, people are happy. Right. And I say nine times out of ten because I understand you can go to the airport and it can be a sad time saying goodbye to loved ones. But most of the time people are excited. Most of the time people are flying to a holiday destination or they're flying back to family or friends or people are coming back home from being away for a long time and so so the airport just really is this great space for me it's a it's a real mixture of things that i absolutely love aviation and airplanes and then also just joyful people people are excited to be stepping onto a plane or getting off of a plane and so it really is a wonderful experience and and one of my favorite things to do apart from Watching the airplanes and apart from sitting at the wimpy and looking out through the glass windows and seeing the goings on and the happenings uh, out there on the runway is, um, is either stepping off a plane and coming into the rivals area or standing at the rivals area waiting for somebody that I've gone to pick up. And there's a reason why I love that so much. It's just that's a place where you get to see genuine emotion and genuine relationship connection. I love it. I love it when people are standing there and they're craning their necks and their heads to try and see uh, loved ones or friends or family that are coming up that corridor, especially here at Cape Town International. You've got this long corridor with these, with these electric doors that sort of like open and close and you get to see um, down into the arrival section. And you get, if you're careful enough you can, and, and your eyes are good enough, you can really spot the people you're looking for coming far down the passage. Uh, and it really is an exciting time. And I love, especially children, um, when I've come home and I've, and I've flown in from somewhere and, and my children have been waiting for me, it, it's wonderful to see you know, the excitement that just bursts forth. And they often break that, 
don't cross this line rule. You know, as they overcome with emotion, seeing mom or dad or granny or grandpa or whoever it is that they've been waiting for come through those doors. They just run into the person's arms and they'll be screaming and people will be holding presents or teddy bears or sweets. It just really is one of those wonderful experiences for me. And often you'll see families, uh, whole families embracing each other. You'll often see tears of joy, real emotion as people celebrate relationship and it's just one of those things that i think is so deeply ingrained in us there's just this deep appreciation for deep meaningful relationships and deep meaningful relationships really are on the heart of god and so and so it, it really is exciting to be digging into chapter 45 of genesis today because that's exactly what this passage is all about. It's, it's about the joy of relationship. And it really isn't an exaggeration to say that relationships are the most important thing in life. The two, the two main commands that God gives to us center around relationships or right relationships. One, the right relationship with Him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. And right relationships with other people. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And... Uh, Whenever we see broken relationships, whenever we see strained relationships, whenever we see relationships that aren't what they're meant to be, we can know for sure that that displeases God and it breaks the heart of God. And that's why Genesis is such a moving chapter. Genesis chapter 45 is such a moving chapter because we get to see really into that intimate space where Joseph is reunited with his brothers that he hasn't seen for about 22 Yes, and not just his brothers, his father as well. So we're going to unpack that today and hopefully learn some really key principles when it comes to reconciliation and reuniting with people so that relationships can be built again. So let's read together. I'm going to be reading and you can follow along in your Bibles or it will come up on the screen. Genesis chapter 45 has what it says. Then Joseph could no longer control himself. Before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him, because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save the lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and no reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children, 
and your grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell me, tell me about my father. Tell my father about all the honor accorded to me in Egypt, about everything you have seen. And bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. This really is an amazing passage of scripture where we see relationship being rekindled and reunited and mended and made whole. And surely it was probably a long journey that they went on to reestablish relationship. But this was the birth of something brand new. Something that hadn't happened or, or hadn't existed for 22 years. We see Joseph in a torrent of emotion explode and not be able to keep it in and say to his brothers, this is who I am. And, and before this point, what had happened was um, Joseph's brothers had come to Egypt looking for food. They knew Egypt had food. And so they met with Joseph. They didn't recognize him, but he recognized them. And so he tested them to see where their hearts were at. He asked them questions about his father, about himself. He started to interrogate and, and through a series of conversations, he found out that they were truly deeply grieved by what had happened. They spoke about the broken heart of his father. And it gets to this point where Joseph is just so overwhelmed with the emotion, he can't take it anymore. And he explodes and he just says, I am Joseph. I am your brother. He asks this question, is my father alive? Tell me, is he alive? Now Joseph knew that his father was alive, but it was just such good news. He wanted to hear it again. The possibility of being reunited with his brothers and with his father and with his younger brother was just overwhelming for him. But you can imagine the confusion and the terror of his brothers when they hear this news as Joseph reveals himself. As Joseph, this, this to them at that stage, this incredibly powerful ruler of Egypt who wasn't a Hebrew who they didn't know from a bar of soap, all of a sudden revealing that he was the brother that they had sold into Egypt. For 22 years, they had sold this lie that he had been killed, that he was dead. So much so that they had begun to believe it themselves, possibly. Possibly they'd lied so much about this that they'd begun to believe that he was dead. To hear Joseph speaking to them was like hearing a dead man speaking to hear that this powerful ruler that they were now coming to for food and for provision to hear that it was joseph the one that they had sold into slavery must have at that point make made their blood run cold the word the word translated in some bibles is the word dismayed they were dismayed but 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 the more accurate interpretation is they were terrified when they heard this and that word is often used in Scripture when it speaks about an army of men being overcome with enemies. When, when they know that they're surrounded and they're going to be defeated. It's a, it's a hopelessness. It's a, it's a terror knowing that your life is over and you've been overrun. That's, that's the word used to describe how they felt when they saw Joseph. In fact, they weren't able to speak much. They were so terrified. Up until uh, verse 15, Joseph is the only one speaking. He does all the talking. You can imagine the brothers are just dumbfounded. 
and fear struck because they had face to face with this brother that they thought was dead, that they had sold into slavery and now was probably under Pharaoh, or definitely was under Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the land. The brother's shock over who this man was could only have been increased though when they started to sense in him not even a hint of resentment, but love and affection and passion towards them. There's no anger. There seems to be no bitterness. There seems to be no uh, animosity or resentment, just love and emotion towards them. And I think about this, I suppose if this was a movie that we're watching, we'd expect there to be revenge. I suppose they, they expected him to say, aha, you know, you treated me for dirt. You treated me like dirt for such a long time. You sold me as a slave. You got rid of me. I've lost out on many years with you and with my father and with my younger brother, Benjamin. Now that I'm all powerful, or now that I'm as powerful as I am, you're going to get it. You can imagine that that's how the world would expect him to respond. That's how possibly they were expecting Joseph to respond. But there was not a hint of revenge. Instead, Joseph spoke kindly to them. He showed them mercy and grace and extended that beyond them to their families. He says, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to provide for your children in the coming years of famine. Come, do what I say so that you can come to this land and inherit this goodness. I'm going to look after you. And he finishes that meeting not only by kissing Benjamin, his brother that had nothing to do with all of the shenanigans and the treachery of his older brothers, but he finishes by kissing all of his brothers and weeping on their shoulders. This must have absolutely blown them away as they recalled the years past and the things that they had done. And now this brother, who was so powerful, who could have squashed them and ended their lives, chooses to show grace and love and kindness. In all of this, Joseph shows us the key to reconciliation. In all of this, we learn the deep truths about how to be reconciled to people. Whether it's family members that have hurt us, work colleagues that have hurt us, a spouse that has hurt us, it doesn't matter who it is. We learn these deep truths about reconciliation and the key to reconciliation, the first point of this message this morning is this. Attitude is everything. Your attitude is absolutely key to reconciliation with anybody. The right attitude is at the center of good relationships. If you had to think about people that are really easy to get along with, people that you have deep relationships with, people that you enjoy being around, they aren't people who are constantly grumpy. They aren't people who are perpetually negative. They aren't people who are constantly bitter. They aren't people who constantly harbor a grudge or animosity. Sure, we can all go through seasons of those feelings uh, in life, but, but, but people who are constantly like that are probably people who lack deep relationships with people. And those aren't people that we enjoy connecting ourselves to. People that we enjoy being around, people that have got deep relationships with others, are people who are relaxed, people who are forgiving, people who are kind, people who are not quick to take offense. These are the characteristics of people who've got good, deep, and meaningful relationships with others. They're pleasant to be around. 
Reconciliation between, between Joseph and his brothers would have never happened if Joseph's attitude was one of revenge and negativity and animosity, bitterness. If he had a rotten attitude towards his brothers, his forgiving, his kind, his loving and caring response, his pleasant attitude in his receiving of them, despite their rejection, despite their horrible treatment of him, was what resulted in relationship being rekindled and mended and made whole. Joseph's attitude made a way for him to be reunited to his brothers and to his family. As I thought about this, I realized that there's a lot of stuff that I've gone through in my life and a lot of stuff that I realize is part of your life that I don't have a clue about. But the principle is the same for all of us. And it's a bitter pill to swallow sometimes to realize that to be reconciled to somebody who's hurt you often means that you're the one who has to take the initiative in being reconciled to them. And the reconciliation often lies in your attitude and your response. So often we can fold the arms and sit back and go, I was the one who got hurt. It's not my job to do the restoring. But that's so not a godly attitude, nor is it what Jesus did for us. While we were still sinners, God's word says, Jesus died for us. And so there's this principle where if we desire relationships like we should, according to God's word, and we know this animosity that exists between us and someone else, regardless of whether we were the ones who got hurt or not, we need to be going and trying to make right and making every effort to adjust our attitude to restore relationship. Now, often when we say this, people get really offended or, or you get your back up because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking the same thing I thought and I think when I hear this truth. But, but what about their attitude? You know, surely their attitude also has to come in to play here. Surely, surely it's not just me that has to have a right attitude. And the answer is absolutely. Obviously, for there to be complete and total reconciliation and restoration, their attitude has to change at some point. But often the key to beginning that restoration and to bringing change in the person that has to change in order for a relationship to be made whole, often the key is them seeing how you respond to adverse situations and to the dynamics that exist between you and them. Often it's the offended person like Joseph who must take the initiative in reconciliation. Like Jesus who was sent to, to reconcile us to the Father. He's the one who takes initiative. He's the one who goes to the cross. Who's obedient to the Father for those who at that time still hated him and hated the Father. Jesus takes initiative. When someone wrongs you, you really do have two decisions to make. You've got, you've, got, you've got two choices. And you might not think so. You might think that when you get hurt, you only have one response. Because often our response is instinctive. Often we get angry. Often we get really furious. And, and most of the time, justifiably so. But we often think that that's our only option and our only way forward. As a result of the hurt that someone's brought into our life. But once you've taken time to think about it and calm down. Once, uh, once, the, once the temperature drops, you realize that you actually have a choice to make. 
As God's people, when someone hurts us and when someone offends us and relationship is strained, we can continue down the road of resentment and bitterness and anger. Or we can respond like Joseph did and be forgiving and be gracious. Joseph never allowed his feelings to grow and to fester and to become a monster that controlled him. So many people become increasingly hostile become increasingly bitter and angry after they've been hurt by people. And if they were the ones who had met these brothers again, they would have done their very best to get revenge. Or at least, at very least, make sure that the brothers never forget that they were the ones who caused such pain and heartache in their lives. But like I said, there's another choice. There's a choice of responding the way Joseph did. It may have taken him some time and it's probably going to take us time to settle down and to work through the stuff that has happened in our lives as a result of other people's sinfulness. But Joseph doesn't stew in that stuff for years. If he had, his bitter spirit would have prevented him from rising to the top in Potiphar's house or being recognized in prison. His bitter attitude would have caused him to fall short of the standards of God and not be used the way that he was used by God to do what he did for the Lord and to bring what he did through his obedience to God to the nation of Israel. Joseph really must have dealt with his attitude early on. And that's not to say that he didn't go through hard times and feel terrible in, um, in certain seasons of his life during those years in Egypt before he rose to call it fame in Pharaoh's household. But Joseph must have dealt with it early on. We see his heart that is tender before the Lord and God using him. And we know that it's so important to deal with stuff right off the bat because the sooner we deal with it, the sooner we're able to uproot it from our lives. We know that bitterness, God's word speaks about, is a root. It speaks about it in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 bitterness is a root and we know this that the longer you leave a root there the deeper it goes the stronger it gets and the more difficult it is the more difficult it is to remove it over time and 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 seeds of bitterness and anger will grow and bear fruit if we water it and the principle the biblical principle of sowing seed is this that the fruit of the seed you sow will always be later and it will always be greater and so if we're sowing to please the flesh if we're sowing seeds of dissension and anger and bitterness, we will reap that fruit and it will be greater than the seed that we've sown. But if we sow it to please the Spirit, from the Spirit, God's Word says, we will reap eternal life. So to forgive often means, on the part of the person who has offended, that we need to, for lack of a better word, absorb what was done to us. But it's not that we take it upon ourselves. As believers, we're able to come to the feet of Jesus, who's paid the price for all unrighteousness. He's the one who's actually absorbed the unrighteousness that we've done and that has been done to us. And we're able to come and lay it back down at his feet and go, Jesus, this has happened to me. But I know that you've paid the price for my unrighteousness and this unrighteousness done to me. And that's often so difficult for us to get our head around. But when Jesus says... In uh, 1 John chapter 1, where he says that if you're faithful and just, 
He will forgive us for all unrighteousness. It's, it's not just unrighteousness that we do, but it's unrighteousness that has been done to us. And Jesus empowers us to be able to live lives that we weren't able to live before. Free from bitterness. Free from resentment. Free from anger and frustration and animosity towards other people because of what they've done. As we look to the cross and we see what Jesus has done. We look to the offenses of other people that they have committed to us in our lives. And we realize it is nothing compared to the offense of our sin when we look to our Savior Jesus. And what we did to him and what we caused um, to happen on that, on that Friday we celebrated last week. So in a sense, we need to absorb it. But we absorb it by laying it down at the feet of Jesus. The stuff that people do to us. And that's not to say we can't be upset. But we deal with our emotions. And we come before Jesus. And although we do this, it's not saying that it's not costly to be the one who forgives. Often we've got to put aside our pride. Often it's a humbling thing. To come to somebody who's offended you. Who should be coming to you. To go to them and to say let's, let's make right. Let's restore this relationship. But when God forgives our sins in Christ. It doesn't mean we brush things aside. So when we go to people to make right. It doesn't mean we brush it aside and we pretend It never existed. We just know that when Jesus died for us, he paid the penalty for our sins so that we can go free. And so when we come to people, we forgive them the way Jesus forgave us. We acknowledge what was done. We don't write it off or make it seem like it was nothing and insignificant. We acknowledge what it did. We speak about uh, how we feel, but we go in love and tenderness knowing that the relationship and the restoration of the relationship is more important than holding on to the hurt. So the key to reconciliation is your attitude. We need to be asking God to give us love. To help us to forgive people the way that he forgave us. But as I say that, um, moving forward, I, th- I think one of the questions I had is, well, what happens if I just don't feel forgiving? What happens if I don't feel like forgiving people? What happens if, I'm, if I say to you that, 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 that if I'm honest with myself, sometimes I want that person to pay the price. Or at the very least, I'm praying that God would punish them. How can I have a forgiving attitude if I don't feel like forgiving? Point number two for today is this. Although it's true that your attitude is key to reconciliation, the key to the right attitude is submission to God. Point number two, the key to your attitude is submission to God. One of the most noticeable characteristics of Joseph's life was the centrality of God in his life. This is such an important concept for us to get our head around. And if only we could grasp it, I really believe as God's people we would live lives in such a way that we would bring God glory all the time. We're not always going to get it right, but if we could just... Have Jesus at the center of our lives all the time. So many, so many Christians have Jesus as a spoke in the wheel of life, but he's not the hub. So many Christians have Jesus as part of what they do. If you speak about life as a table, Jesus is one of the ornaments on the table. But God says, hey, I need to be that table. And everything in life that you do needs to be placed on me and centered around me. I need to be the showpiece, the centerpiece I need to be what's on display and what holds everything in place for you. 
But for Joseph, everything centered around God. When he was in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, Joseph says, how then could I do this great evil and sin against God? When Joseph was in the dungeon and he was with the cupbearer and the baker and they had dreams and and Joseph's response to them when, when they asked for the interpretation of their dreams, he says, great, sorry, do not interpretations belong to God? Joseph honors God for the interpretations that he gets. When he's called before Pharaoh, who said, oh, I hear that you can interpret dreams. Joseph says, it's not within me, the interpretations. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And in giving Pharaoh the interpretations, four times Joseph uses the name God. He uses God's name to underscore to Pharaoh that he is not the one with the interpretations. He's just a servant of God bringing the message of God. God is the one to be glorified. When Joseph's wife bore bore him two sons, he names them in honor of what God has done. The first one he calls Manasseh, saying, God has forgotten all of my trouble. The second one he names Ephraim, saying, God has made me fruitful. Even in the naming of his sons. Regardless of what he had been through, he names his sons to bless God for what God had done for him. When Joseph's brothers come to buy grain, even though Joseph wanted to disguise himself, which he did at first, he couldn't hide his relationship with God and the centrality of God in his life. He says this to them in chapter 42, verse 18. Do this and live, for I fear God. At the end of Genesis, when Joseph's brothers feared that, they would, that he would pay them back for what they had done to him. He replied, do not be afraid, for I am in God's place. As for you, he says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result. To preserve many people alive. Joseph had God at the center of his life all the time, which was the key to his right attitude. And his right attitude was the key to reconciliation and restoration he experienced with his brothers and his family. From first to last, God was at the center of Joseph's life. And so today I just want to conclude with this. It was a question we asked a little bit early on. What about those people that we need to be reconciled to, that we make an effort with, but don't, but don't respond to us? Don't they need to change as well, these people that have hurt us? For there to be complete reconciliation, all parties have to come under the Lordship of Christ. But unfortunately, we live in a broken world where people make sinful decisions because God has given us free will. If, Joseph, if Joseph's brothers had refused To repent for their sinful ways. At best, there could have only been a strained truce. An effort from Joseph's side to reconcile. And sometimes, despite us having the right attitude, the right motive, with Jesus at the center of our lives, being rightly restored to people is not possible because of their attitudes. Not every relationship is going to work out. Not every attempt at unity is going to work out the way we want it to. But when it does, it is well worth the effort. And we should certainly try because that honors God. But 
whether it works out or not, whether the person that you're going to be restored to or trying or trying to be restored to not responds to you in a godly way. We are responsible for our attitudes. We are responsible for being obedient to our king and doing what he has called us to do to the best of our ability to grow and to nurture the best relationships we possibly can because that honors him. You know, often my kids will say to me, oh, dad, can I do so-and-so? Can I do so-and-so? They come to Mandy and I and they say, well, can we have this or can we do this? And we'll say, no, my boy, no, my girl, no, we're not going to do that. And then the response is, oh, but so-and-so's mom and dad, let them do it. Or but so-and-so's um, parents, let them do that in their home. And our response to them is, well, that's great, but those children are not our children. And those parents are not your parents. We are your parents, and in our home, we have our rules. And that's often what God says to us. The world can do what they want to do. That person can respond the way that they want to respond. But in the house of God, as my sons and my daughters, these are my rules. And my rule is this, that you love me. First and foremost, and you love others as you love yourself. Now be reconciled to people you need to be reconciled to. Don't harbor hurts. Don't harbor animosity. Don't harbor bitterness. Don't let those roots grow. Go now and be reconciled. Go now and make an effort to honor me. Go now and let people see in the way that you respond. Even though they've hurt you, they know they've hurt you. Regardless of their attitude, go and do what Jesus would have done for the sake of the unity of the body so that Jesus may be glorified. And like the life of Joseph, if we choose to do that, I really believe God's people will be used to preserve the lives of many. Not just with physical material needs, but with spiritual needs as they see God at work within us and as they see the unity of the church, despite racial backgrounds and, and color and upbringing and economic status, despite all of the diverse stuff that we experience as a people, as God's people in the church, despite that, when they see unity that exists in a way that doesn't exist outside the family of God, it will draw people to Jesus. I believe we need to make every effort to make that happen. And that begins in our homes. It begins with our spouse. It begins with our children. It begins with our moms and dads, our aunts, our uncles, our cousins. Our sis, our, it begins at home. And then it flows out from there. Work colleagues, sportsmates, friends. God's people need to be making an effort to be reconciled. So check your attitude. Check the centrality of Christ in your life. Express a forgiving and loving spirit. And as God gives you the opportunity, live a life of reconciliation so that people can get God's perspective on how important relationships are. And as you begin to nurture godly relationships, may people see that and may God be glorified for the glory of His name, in Jesus' name. Bless you and may you be encouraged and may you be stirred up and excited to pursue godly relationships. And I pray for you, if you're in a place where you need to be restored to people, regardless of whether they hurt you or not, I pray that God would give you the power and the strength and the ability to honor His Word, to honor relationships, and to do what you can to make sure that God is glorified and that relationship is restored. Bless you, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.